Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. One of the most difficult conversations that I've ever had was with my mom. And I was raised in a faith tradition that said, you know, if you just pray about um, mental health struggles, if you just have faith, if you, you know, repent from some unrepentant sin that you forgot about, yeah. then you, you're all good, right? And so when I, and you definitely don't take medication, you know? And so in my conversation with my psychiatrist, I got on medication. And so I called my mom and, and to tell her that and it just didn't go well. And I think that's a story of so many people. As we continue to face changes due to the pandemic, many people are suffering from anxiety, fear, and mental health issues. John Seidel wants to help those who are struggling and fix the rampant stigma, especially in Christian circles, surrounding mental health challenges by being brutally honest about his own battles with anxiety and OCD. Today on Connections, he shares his story with us in hopes of helping others. We're joined today by John Seidel. He's the president of Veritas Creative. He is also the author of his first book titled Finding Rest, A Survivor's Guide to Navigating the Valleys of Anxiety, Faith, and Life. Tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about what you do. So I, um, I've been in media and writing for, I mean, ever since I graduated college. And so um, I've always had an affinity for storytelling. And that is where my heart and my passion is. And when you get to um, write about other people, um, there comes a time where you're like, well, I guess I kind of have a story. I keep telling everyone that they have a story. And, um, and then you're like, oh, wait, I have a story too. And I should probably share that. And so um, what I do is, um, you know, whether I'm writing about my story, whether I'm helping other people tell their stories, is I, I really kind of focus on the fact that everyone has something to say. Uh, to teach others. And whether that's a business or a brand or a person, um, it doesn't matter. Have you found it difficult in telling stories, struggling with like, I find like a lot of creative people struggle with kind of like imposter syndrome, right? They feel (laughs) this big call to do these things like writing, but then at the same time, you're kind of scared that people are going to figure out that you're not good at it. Have you ever struggled with that or, or no? Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Same. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, if if only, if, if only everyone knew, you know? Yeah. Um, (laughs) And now I have a book out where everyone knows. Right. Uh, But, um, but yeah, I, it it really is a a fascinating phenomena and I would love to like dig into that deeper. Maybe that's another book. Right. Uh, The imposter syndrome is real for sure. Now, you were speaking about your story. Your story is an interesting one. Tell us a little bit about you and your story. So I, I you know, growing up, I always knew that something was different about me. Um, couldn't really put my finger on it. Um, I just, you know, there, there were thoughts that I couldn't get out of my head. There were, you know, I'd encounter something and it would throw me for a loop. And, you know, I'd kind of look around at other people and, you know, it's just kind of rolling off their back, you know. But I just kind of accepted that as my reality. And uh, I was telling someone the other day, like, I, I, I really don't know how I got through high school and college with that. Because, I mean, whether, whether it was getting, uh, you know, 
literally obsessed about something um, where, where you just can't get it out of your head or, or these feelings of anxiety where you kind of feel like you're on the edge of a cliff and, and you're looking down and, and your stomach kind of goes up to your throat and you're like, oh, you know, that, <clears throat> that, that, that fight or flight, if you will. Um, and so I, I kind of went through life just finally accepting that. And um, as marriage has a way of refining us, um, three years into my marriage, my, my wife kind of looks at me and um, there was, a, you know, I had one of these episodes and she's like, John, like, I can't, like, I can't live like this. You know, like I'm always walking on eggshells. I don't know what is going to set you off into like one of these thought cycles or something that you just can't get over and it's going to ruin our weekend. And, and, and this, this particular episode was, was I had the wrong sweetener in my coffee. Like I hate Splenda. <laughs> I love sweet and low. And, and that sounds, you know, like for people who struggle with OCD and anxiety, um, that is going to, you're going to be able to connect with that. Um, and, and so when, when, when the person you love, um, is across from you saying like, something has to change, you know, that, that kind of snapped in my brain. And, and so I finally got help. And so I scheduled a, an appointment with a psychiatrist and, you know, within minutes of, of kind of telling him what was going on, he's like, well, okay, you, this is pretty easy. You have generalized anxiety disorder with obsessive compulsive disorder. And it was one of those days that was, you know, it was monumental in my life. And I say it was one of the most freeing days of my life because up until that moment, I was, you know, I had a blindfold on the lights were off and I, you know, I was swinging a sword and I had no idea what I was fighting. Right. But in that moment where I got the diagnosis, it's like the lights came on, the blindfold came off and I knew what I was battling. And so that's why in my book on the topic, I, you know, one of the first chapters is call it by its name. And the idea is that once we name something, we get power over it. And it's like, you know, even if you look back into um, the Bible, right? It's like, it's like, you know, when you can, you know, man was given this, this opportunity to name the animals, right? And it's like, that kind of shows this this hierarchy and so when we can name something it it shows the hierarchy and we can own it and it doesn't have to own us it's unbelievable how much that can change things even when it comes to a pain in your body that is obviously causing that anxiety as soon as you find out what it is it's like hey the pain's there but it doesn't really exist anymore because well now i know what it is and i can figure this out and like you said you can take control over that yeah and it's not you go from a place of helplessness to hopefulness you know, um, where you do not, you know, you, you know, the other day, like I, I was having just this last month, I was having like chest pains, you know, and I'm like, I'm a young guy. Like, I don't think I'm having a heart attack. Right. And so I went for my annual checkup and my doctor's like, Hey, so you have, you have hereditary high cholesterol. And so I look it up and like, sure enough, like high cholesterol can cause what's called angina and angina is like, is like chest tightness. And you know, before I got, before I knew, I'm like, am I having a heart attack? Am I dying? Like what's going on now? It's like, oh no, now, now here's what's happening. Here's something that can help fix it. Here's what you need to do. Okay. Now I have a plan of action. And so it's the same thing. I mean, you know, that sounds logical when it comes to our physical health, except when it comes to our mental health, a lot of times we, we discount that. Right. And so, and so we have to treat that mental health capacity just the same way we would treat, you know, that physical health. 
you mentioned like your wife said this to you and you're like, oh, I made an appointment and I went to see the psychiatrist. What was it like, though, actually doing that? Was it easy for you to pick up the phone and make that appointment or was it a bit of a struggle and a scary thing? Yeah, I would say it was both. Um, So before I called my psychiatrist, I called my sister and my sister I knew had kind of struggled with some some similar things. And so in talking with her, and this is why I recommend the fact that you need community, is, mm-hmm. is that in talking with her, she, she, you know, she really helped me kind of see and understand some of what was going on as well, um, you know, understanding family history and how she has dealt with it. And so it made that call to the psychiatrist much, much easier. That being said, even after I went to the psychiatrist, even after I got my diagnosis, it still took me two years before I ever really fully told the world everything, you know, and because there is a stigma there, ha- there, you know, it's getting better, but especially, you know, 2016 is when I first kind of came out and talked about this. Um, the stigma was even stronger back then. Right. And so I, I would say there still is this kind of tinge of fear that like, you know, you talk about the imposter syndrome. Um, there's, there's this tinge of fear that like, I just never want to be discounted or dismissed. Um, I never, I never, you know, whether it's in work or life or whatever. Oh, oh, you know, John's really harping on that point because he, you know, that's just the anxiety. That's just the OCD talking, you know, we, we don't, we, we don't have to take that seriously. It's like, no, (laughs) this is a serious, like, no, this is being run horribly or whatever, you know? And so, what I would say, though, is that once I did finally talk about it and to see the reaction that I got from people, it made it all worth it. Um, just other people who had struggled, who had suffered in silence like me, um, it, it, it makes it all worth it. How was the community when it came to church? Was there support there or was there the stigma um, when it came to that situation? Yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. Um, yeah, I think in certain, in certain areas, it was really supportive in other areas. It wasn't, you know? And so I talk about one of the most difficult conversations that I've ever had was with my mom. And I was raised in a faith tradition that said, you know, if you just pray about, um, mental health struggles, if you just have faith, if you, you know, repent from some unrepentant sin that you forgot about, then you're all good. Right. And so when I, and you definitely don't take medication, you know? And so in my conversation with my psychiatrist, I got on medication. And so I called my mom and, and to tell her that, and it just didn't go well. Um, it did not go well. And that is the story I say in the book, like, I want to tell my, your story by telling my story. And I think that's the story of so many people is whether they have friends or family, loved ones, pastors, that you know discourage the idea of taking medication that say this is a faith issue um when it's not you know and so there were however people that i found within you know my faith community that were supportive and i think that kind of kept me going um but also seeing that reaction from other people which which still exists to this day we've made strides you know, but um, I talk about in the book, a, a friend of mine who experienced anxiety for the first time as a result of the pandemic. And when I, when I just started asking him about going to counseling or taking medication, you know, he, he's like, well, I just, I just don't know. Like, I, I just, 
I think I'm just going to like pray a little bit more and, 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 and trust the Lord a little bit more. And it's like, that is the same thinking. It's the same thinking that was present when I was growing up. And it's the same thinking that I think is more prevalent than a lot of people realize. Yeah. It's such a common thing, right? And I mean, we'll, we'll take medicine for a headache or a cold, but as soon as it comes to taking medicine for our mental health, it becomes a much scarier thing for us. It almost feels like, I think at least I know for me and my thinking, like, I feel like I'm, I'm betraying my, my trust in God, right? Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. Even though I know better, I have a master of divinity, right? I know (laughs) that I'm not, (laughs) but I, I still struggle with that internally. Yeah, and and there's there's you know there's this old proverb that I I explain in more detail in the book, and but I'll just kind of give it here. Is like the way that I talk about medication is that it's a common grace, right? It's something that the Lord has given all of us, right? And so there's that there's this old story where um, you know there's a flood that comes, and there's this man in his house, and you know he's like, God, please save me from this flood, and like the police come and they're car and they're like hey hop in the, the floodwaters are rising he's like no i'm trusting god i'm trusting god right. god's gonna save me right and then like a boat the waters rise a boat comes hop in no i'm trusting god trusting god okay and then gets up to the roof and a helicopter comes and they say hop in he goes no i'm trusting god to save me and like he gets to heaven he, he dies he goes to heaven he's like god why didn't you save me and god's like what was wrong with the you know i sent you a boat i sent you a helicopter and i sent you the police like what right. more do you want you know um yeah and, and that's what I feel like medication is. And, and, and I say that also, you know, I think there are some people who are like, well, John's just, you know, he's just trying to medicate everyone. And that's his answer for everything. It's like, <laughs> no, no. I, if you read the book, you'll see that it's, it's, it's in chorus, right? I'm not out here. I can't diagnose everyone, right? And, and th- those, those decisions need to be made in, in chorus with medical professionals and counselors and whatnot, right? But what I'm saying is don't discount it. Don't write it off. You know, don't, don't, don't say, oh, well, I'll, I'll do anything but get on medication. And I, I told someone this the other day and, and they like, at first they were kind of offended and they're like, oh yeah. I said, you have a pride issue. And I said, what do you mean? I said, mm-hmm. you're telling God he can help you and, tr- and he, and treat you any way, but this way. I was like, you're trying to play God. You're telling God what to do. God, you can do anything, but help me with medication. It's like, how is that not that that's a pride issue. And they're like, oh, wow, I guess you're right. I've never seen it that way. <laughs> How can we as the faith community, as the church, uh, start working on this and break that stigma and provide that support that is necessary? So I think first and foremost, talk about it, right? You know, I think in there are more people struggling, especially if you're a faith leader that's listening to this. There are more people struggling in your church than you realize. And so the more that you can talk about it, you know, that erases the stigma. I think the second thing I would say is we need to do better at teaching a proper theology of suffering. And I go through this in detail in the book, but I'll kind of give an overview here. A proper theology of suffering says this. It says, no matter what I'm going through, I'm not, I'm not causing it, right? Like God isn't punishing me. Um, um, the, and, and, all of those things, all the struggles, all the difficulties, all the lost jobs, all the what it, whatever it is, all, you know, all the medical issues. God has said that he will use those for my good and his glory, right? And so if you look throughout the Bible, 
like that is the theme throughout the Bible that says what whatever happens, God is redeeming it, right? I'm going to redeem this. You know, you look at the story of Joseph as the classic one. I'm going to redeem this for my good and 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 His glory, right? And so, what we don't do is preach enough about the idea that suffering is always going to be with us. The Lord says, right at the end, he's like, in this world, you will have suffering, right? You can't make it any more clear than that, right? So what do we do when that happens? How do we view God? And then, and that final thing would be this, is that we need to come to a point where we judge our circumstances by who we know God is instead of judging God by our circumstances, right? And so do I pray like every day that the Lord would take this cup away from me? Yes, I do, but he hasn't. So what I have to rest in is the idea that he is using it to refine me and redefine me, right? There's further work that needs to be done. And if you look at the story that Paul talks about of having that thorn in his flesh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's really beautiful. It's a, it, it, he talks about, he says two things. One, it's, it's like, it's been given to me to make me humble. So, so for, for a, a, a refinement, if you will. And then at the end, he says, I'm just going to, it's also going to allow me to just boast in my weaknesses and, and give glory to God, God's glory for my good and his glory. Right. And so I think the more that we teach this, right, the more that whenever someone, you know, has a struggle, whether it's mental health, whether it's whatever, we don't look at them as the instigator and the cause of this. Oh, how, how, you know, you're such a bad person, right? Well, newsflash, we're all bad people, right? Um, and, and we're all constantly sinning, right? Um, and so if we, if we take that theology of suffering, that proper theology of suffering, whenever someone comes to us with an issue, there is no stigma, right? It's like, no, we live in a fallen world, right? This is, this is the result of, of just sin entering the world. And so now what are we going to do with that? Now we're going to throw ourselves back into God and trust, again, that he's using it for our good and his glory. Makes me think of um, John 9, the blind man, and everybody was like, yes. You know, what sin did his parents do or what did he do? Who sinned in his life, Jesus, to cause this blindness? And Jesus is like, nobody sinned. And this will just put God's work on display in his yes. life. Yes. So, yeah. It's such an assurance, right? Like, no, that isn't, especially that secret sin. What unconfessed sin is in yes. your life that comes up so much, right? And yeah, that's not great theology, is it? It's absolutely not. And I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. And I reference, I reference him in, in the book. And I think one of the things that people forget is like, you know, um, so that, the, that phrase for our good in his glory, I break both of those down. And so someone mm. might say, well, for God's glory, like, like God made this guy blind. Like, this is like, wh- what kind of like masochistic God do you right. serve? Right. <laughs> and it's like, but what you don't realize is that the blind man, what did he have to do? He had to come to Jesus, right? Like he got the best thing. Yes, he got his sight, right? But the best thing he got was Jesus, right? So, yeah. so our struggles force us to Jesus, right? And, and if they're taken away, great. If they're not taken away, 
fine. But what you get in that process is you get more Jesus. And that is the ultimate, ultimate goal. That is the ultimate thing that our soul thirsts for, right? And, and so we, we can't discount the fact that our struggles are being used, yeah, for our good and his glory. And, and the closer we are to Jesus, the better we are as, as human beings and the more that we give him glory. <laughs> Come on now, keep preaching. <laughs> we uh, one of the things that really struck us was just the title of your book. We just loved it, "Finding Rest." That uh, really spoke to both Colleen and I right away. Why'd you go that direction? Yeah, and I, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I need to make sure that everyone hears this. Rest is not a destination. So someone's like, okay, so what are, you know, what are your five keys to find rest, right? And I said, well, first of all, I, I, we, we have to get out of the idea that rest is, is this, final, this final place, right? What I mean by rest in this book is, th- think about this. We were given the armor of God, right? We are not given the armor of God if it's not assumed that we're constantly going to be in a battle, Right? We, we are given the armor of God because we know we are fighting, right? So for me, rest is, it's those moments within the battle where you, you know, you go behind the lines, right? You rest, you recover, you, you know, you heal your wounds, you eat really good food and get, you know, nourishment, right? Rest is, is, is a several moment and a several time thing within the battle. Right. And so what I'm encouraging people is here is how you find rest amidst the battle. It's not rest from the battle in the sense of getting rid of it. It's not rest in the sense that you never have to worry about anything. Right. I mean, chapter eight in the book, is said, this is this is an ongoing battle for me. Right. It's 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 constantly something that I'm having to uh, fight against again until that day that Jesus takes it away or I get to be with him. Right. Um, And so rest, the idea of finding rest is how do I um, take, you know, these principles that I talk about and use them in order to get respite within the battle of fighting anxiety and OCD. And that was one thing I was going to ask is, or not really ask, but bring up was that you really want finding rest to be a respite for those that are struggling. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's like, you know, I think we get so caught up sometimes, you know, this kind of goes back to that proper theology of suffering a little bit, but we get so caught up sometimes in trying to get rid of our struggles, right? We just want the absence of fear and pain and anxiety and OCD that we miss what the Lord is doing by allowing us to go through them, right? And so uh, my ultimate goal is not you know, while I would love to not struggle with anxiety and OCD, right? My ultimate goal is not doing everything I can to never have to struggle with them. My ultimate goal is, Lord, I want to be closer to you. And what are you doing within me by allowing me to have this struggle? What would you say to that listener out there that's listening to this thing? Uh, I don't know. Uh, what am I going to do? Uh, there's no hope. There's nothing left. What would you say to that listener? <laughs> it's one, it's never too late, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's never too late to start, you know, to pick up your sword, to put on your breastplate, you know, and, and fight back. 
right? I think so, so. So the opposite of what I want you to hear is even though I'm talking about this, this is an ongoing battle. I don't want you to hear like, well, then it's, it's, it's just futile, right? I'm, I'm never going to win, right? You're, there's, there's, there's nothing I can do. And, and, and that's not true, right? I can, I can wholeheartedly tell you that where I am today from when I was diagnosed in 2014, while I still have it, I'm a much more restful person, right? I found much more rest. I've, I've been able to fight back on um, against, against, against this disease and where it doesn't own me, but I own it, right? And so I think what I want people to know is that there is still hope. Like when I tell you this is an ongoing battle, that's not to, that's not to give you, you know, it's not to defeat you. That's not admitting defeat, right? Again, it goes back to, you can't fight back against something that you don't know is there or that you don't recognize is there or that you aren't willing to say, okay, I see you and now, and, 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 and and I'm not going to let you own me. Right. So, so please, it's never too late to fight back. And there are things you can do right? Maybe you will never be completely free from this, but that doesn't mean your life has to be lived the way that it is now, right? So, so I, I, I mean, I, there are practical things you can do. There are, you know, changes in your eating habits that will help you, changes in your sleep habits, in your exercise habits that will help you. There are medications you can take, and there are spiritual things too that you can do. You know, I tell people, this is a physical battle and a spiritual battle. I need to address the physical now first before I can ever address the spiritual, right? It's like glasses. It's like, uh, you know, if I don't put my glasses on, I can never read the book. Right. But, um, but you can do things that will have an effect and it's not too late. Finding rest, a survivor's guide to navigating the valleys of anxiety, faith, and life. Uh, John, tell us where we can get the book and how else we can uh, stay caught up with you online and what you're up to. Yeah, the best thing to to do all of that is just go to findrestnow.com, findrestnow.com. That'll show you how you can buy the book. Uh, If you want to get on my email list where I talk about these things uh, on a regular basis and and offer encouragement, uh, findrestnow.com is where you can get all of that. Thank you so much for making time for us today. And thank you so much for joining us. Remember, if you want to listen to this full conversation or to any of the conversations that we've had on Connections, You can do that by checking out our podcast, Connections with Mike, Tom, and Colleen Hood. You can find that at podcastville.ca or wherever else you get your favorite podcast from. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.